0: Of Matthew, we'll read Matthew chapter twenty eight, and we'll begin at verse one and read through verse ten. Matthew twenty eight. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So far the reading of Holy Scripture. Let us now sing Psalm I may proclaim to you the gospel of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ as we find that in 1st Peter chapter 1 the verses 3 through 7 and we'll read with it the first two verses as well 1st Peter chapter 1 Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So far. And after the sermon, we will sing hymn 36 which puts the words of our text to music. On the liturgy sheet, you will find a number of words and phrases that are especially meant for our boys and girls to assist them in their listening. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, Christ, has risen, hallelujah. Throughout the centuries, Christians have greeted one another with these joyous words when gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have come together to praise him, who is our Lord and King, and we may greet one another in the same way a manner that shows what is central to our hearts and lives. So when someone asks you today, how are you doing, you can respond, absolutely fabulous. The Lord has risen indeed. Jesus is alive. This is a day of great celebration for all of us as adults, teenagers, and children. Our Savior rose victorious, and his resurrection gives us a living hope so that as children of God, we do not live, die, grieve, work, study, or do anything the way non-Christians do. Our perspective has changed drastically and dramatically. We believe Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today. And that truth should never be turned into a religious cliché or a pious platitude. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus intersects and touches all aspects of our life and it makes every one of us pause and ask, do I believe in Jesus raised from the dead? How does the the transforming power of his resurrection change me and influence My life, my thinking, my hopes, my goals, my battle with sin and addiction, my struggles with health issues, my aspirations, the way I interact with others. On the morning of the resurrection, the tomb of Christ is transformed into a womb, bringing forth new life. And this new life is not restricted to Christ alone. In Christ, we know a victory. And that's why we joyfully celebrate Christ's resurrection every Lord's Day, because in him alone we have comfort for daily living. Today, we still feel the pain of difficulties, depression, disappointment, disease, and death. The trials of life are a vivid reminder that the results of sin are still with us. Yet our life is not meaningless. Christ's resurrection gives us hope and certainty. And this brings us to the heart of the passage before us this morning. And so I may proclaim to you the resurrection of Christ comforts us in all our trials. And his resurrection first assures us that we are born anew. Second, gives us a living hope. And third, calls us to a true faith. The Apostle Peter writes to congregations living in the Roman provinces of Pontus, Cappadocia, Galatia, and Bithynia. Find that from the first words of this chapter. We do not know for sure, but it may be that he lists these provinces in the order that conform to the route the messenger followed in taking this letter to the churches. And these churches of the Lord are addressed as pilgrims in the dispersion because they are not home in the Lord, in, in this world, sorry. They need to focus their eyes on the Lord, on the future, as they travel to a country that will one day be their home. That's how pilgrims make progress. Presently, their citizenship is in heaven. And from there, they expect the city with foundations that last. Now, from what we read in the Bible, we do not know if the Apostle Peter ever visited the province of Asia to preach the gospel. We get the impression that the opposite is true. Paul, Silas, and Barnabas are sent out to the Gentiles, but Peter continues preaching the gospel to the Jews. Yet he finds it necessary to write to churches unknown to him because of their desperate situation. These people are going through very difficult and tough times. The mighty Roman Empire does not look on Christians with favor, but regards them as disturbers of peace and of unity. And that's because these believers disassociated themselves from many of the social functions of their pagan acquaintances. These Christians profess Jesus as their Lord and King. Offending those who see Caesar as the Lord and Master of their life. And consequently their names are dragged through the mud by fellow citizens. Many lose their possessions, their job, or are deserted by their husband or wife because of their faith. Christian slaves suffer under the hard yoke of their unbelieving masters. Longtime friends are now drifting apart. Believing women are treated roughly by husbands who do not join them in the faith. The Christian faith results in many a rift in families, Sending spouses, parents, and children in different directions. And understandably, these church members begin to question. Why is the Lord letting us go through all these difficulties? Is it really worth it to be a Christian and lose family and friends? That's the background to Peter's letter. And notice how the apostle responds. Peter begins his letter with a song of praise. He writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostle immediately directs the attention away from the problems these believers experience. He does not begin with what he sees happening in the congregation, but with God and and what believers have in God. His starting point is the eternal glory which comes forth from the Lord. And that is where we must always start. In all adversity, believers must praise God without wavering. God is good. God is great. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Question. Is this a very tactful approach? Is that a proper way to comfort a person in distress? Is Peter, and we're talking about the apostle here, is Peter really in touch with what is going on in these churches? Do you help a suffering, depressed, and hurting people by singing a song concerning the mercy of God and some future inheritance? Why sing songs to a heavy heart? How is that going to help them now in their situation? Wouldn't it have been better if Peter had started with saying something like, I'm sorry to hear about your difficulties, add a sad emoticon. Nevertheless, as tough as things may be, try looking at the brighter side of life. Add a happy emoticon. Isn't that the way we often comfort? You feel for the hurt and the loss of others, but simultaneously you try to direct them to the many good things that are still in their life. Just look at what people post on Facebook and what they tweet in response to grief, death, and hardship. Hardship. Many times, people don't have much more to say than sorry for your loss or praying. And yet, brothers and sisters, the apostle comforts in a different way. He starts with our only comfort in life and death. In his great mercy, the Lord has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. The power of our risen Savior enables us to praise God. Rejoicing in God. That's not restricted to the happy days and the good times. Praising him is not dependent on circumstances or upon our moods. Do you understand what the apostle is doing by addressing the churches in this manner? He's not saying... I'm not interested in hearing about your problems. But he wants them to accept adversity in faith. They must continue to praise the name of God. The Lord called them out of the world of paganism and placed them in a relationship of love. He took pity on them showed his mercy to them in sending his son to suffer for their sake and to save them from their sins, and he wants them to see their lives from that perspective. We suffer because of sin and the consequences of sin. And that doesn't make life easy. We're faced with things that are downright nasty and hurtful. Our Lord Jesus suffered even though no sin was to be found in him. He endured the cross, the mockery of the world, the scorn of his own people, in order that he might set us free from our sins and from the curse of sin. And that was the great mercy of God. We did not make a move toward God, but he overpowered us on Easter morning. Through the resurrection of Christ, we too are raised to a new life. We've been given new birth. And later in this chapter, Peter explains how the benefits of Christ's resurrection had been applied to them. As a result of the resurrection, new life could be breathed on them. Verse 23 tells us, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. One thing is constant in life. The word of God endures forever. The word is the good news preached to the churches addressed in Peter's letter. And that word gives people a new perspective. Indeed, the word of God must comfort the church in all trials. For the word of God speaks to us about the great mercy of God that he has granted to us by sending to us Jesus, whom he raised from the dead for our life, for our justification, sanctification, and glorification. And in this song of praise, the apostle encourages the readers of this letter to return and find comfort and strength in the preached word of the risen Christ. God's children can find The strength to go on, to raise their children, to educate them, to deal with the challenges of growing older, to find hope in hardships. Where? In the word of God, open to them every Lord's Day, on the day of Christ's resurrection. The Bible spells out the rich promises God provides for those who live and die in Christ. The word of God stipulates what is guaranteed through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Namely, the forgiveness of our sins and the daily renewal of our lives. And this is not outdated stuff for people who are dumb enough to believe it. But this is the heart of what we need. The churches in the province of Asia had to be reminded of it in their circumstances And we need to be reminded of it today as well. We are pilgrims in this world. We're on a journey. And that is good news. Because at one time we were exiles and strangers with God. Thanks to his great mercy and his mercy alone. We have a different status. And this is why at all times and throughout all circumstances we shouldn't be drawing attention to ourselves and to our problems, but we are to focus on God. This is how we show that we believe Jesus Christ has risen. Well then, let's thank God for his great mercy in Christ. You know where your comfort lies, don't you? You have given new life. New birth through the resurrection. Hold on to what the word of God teaches. Don't get thrown off course. Find your comfort in the preached word. For that word not only shows you the mercy of God, but also that you have a living hope. Brings us to our second point. Having been given new birth makes all the difference. Life changes. One who is born anew has a whole new perspective on life, one that has direction and hope. He's brought to the realization that what he experiences now is not the end. There is yet a glorious future to come. And the Apostle Peter could testify to this himself. After the resurrection, The Lord Jesus had breathed on him and the other apostles a sign of the life-giving power proceeding from the resurrection. And the apostles could begin their work with the peace and harmony of God. They could live under the blessing of the risen Christ and be assured that they were safe and okay no matter what they faced. Brothers and sisters, he who learns by faith to understand the power of Christ's resurrection is placed in that same world as Peter. If you have first seen the open grave of Easter, it helps you to see far into the future. You can see over the ages to the day of Christ's second coming when all the graves will be opened and the Lord will appear in glory Before your eyes. And the Bible calls such vision hope. Hope is not simply a matter of longing for something you do not have. Nor does it carry with it a tone of uncertainty. That's the way we tend to use the word. We will say things such as I'm not sure but I certainly hope so. But in the Bible, hope is the anticipation of fully receiving something we already possess in part. Let me repeat that. Hope is the anticipation of fully receiving something we already possess in part. We live under the rule of Jesus, who grants us a living hope. Governed by what he says... We never have to live in fear, but always can live in hope. In this world, we are pilgrims. But we are also a new people with a new outlook. We look ahead head to the day our Lord Jesus is revealed and uncovered in full. And that is why it is so wonderful that Peter may begin this letter with such a song of praise. And we today can sing in the same choir and sing the same song with the saints of centuries past because life is filled with vision. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church and we are his members. And as such, we share in his righteousness. He has made us heirs of eternal life through his resurrection. What a prospect of hope. To us belongs the, the inheritance. The whole church, gathered through the ages, shares in the res, results of the resurrection. And we, as members of that church community, live by that same hope. For we have the same living word of God preached to us with the same promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, when we speak of the inheritance, there are three things that we need to keep in mind. First, the inheritance is a gift. It's not earned, but given to us. Secondly, the inheritance is a sure thing, for it is something given to us in Christ. And thirdly, the inheritance is something which we do not have as yet, but will receive in the future. Well, to that inheritance, we have been born anew. As fruit of the resurrection, we are heirs of the kingdom of God. In their sorrow and misery, the churches in the province of Asia were not to forget what the Lord was granting to them. The guaranteed inheritance is their living hope. Right now, it remains hidden, but we will see it. When the Lord Jesus reveals himself in all his power, that same power which raised him from the dead. So do you understand what is in store for those who live and die in Christ? Presently, presently we still live in a world filled with so much evil, so many trials, so many traumatic experiences but we may not live as if we are without hope. Not as adults or as children. As parents, we need to teach our children to dare to hope. This is what you, Kevin and Adina, need to teach Abigail as well, to hope in Jesus. You can tell her that she was baptized on Easter Sunday, and this gives you as parents and her as your daughter every reason to hope, to have a living hope. The Lord is keeping in store for us the inheritance, the full riches of what we have in Christ. And he will keep it for us. We need not worry that once the time comes to receive the inheritance, it will be marred by outward corruption or inward deterioration. God is keeping it safe for us. No evil force can get added. And at the unveiling of the full power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will also see what we believe today. And it will be more excellent than we could ever have hoped. Shall we not praise God for the glorious prospect of the gospel? Life is not hopeless. Today, many pursue riches. And they dream about what they can do with what they accumulate. But have you ever considered how miserable and poor those who are material, materially rich can be when they do not know God? O God's people, do not go through life without trials and difficulties. You know them, and so do I. Yet in our trials we are to view ourselves as more than conquerors in Christ the victor. We must look at what goes on here with our eyes fixed on heaven where Jesus Christ is today and from where he is preparing a place for us. From out of heaven... We must find the strength to live on earth. In this world, we are given a cross to bear, but we look to the crown. The eternal peace, grace, and mercy of God make life bearable. In his resurrection from the dead, Christ guarantees for us a place in eternal glory, and that gives us hope. The proper order is not to look at affliction and then to glory. But the other way around. We see our afflictions in the light of glory. And being part of, co- of the congregation of Christ today. We do not lose hope. For do you see what I see? I see a people who are being renewed through the living and abiding word to a living hope, to an inheritance. Look around you, and you will see the same. All these people gathered here today give evidence of Christ's resurrection, resurrecting power. Today we do not see the new world. But we see a new people who are heirs of that world in Jesus Christ. And a people with such a prospect must live by faith. Brings us to our last point. The verses 6 and 7, the apostle shows that he does not neglect the trials these churches endure. But in view of the mercy of God and of the hope they have, a different light is shed on their suffering. God uses trials to turn it to their benefit. And within that context, the trials are not all that long. In the same vein, the Apostle Paul wrote these comforting words in Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What a glorious future is kept in store for us. Today, there remain so many difficulties and problems. But let us be careful not to question God's work and the power of Christ's resurrection. In our trials, the Lord tests us to see what is really living in our hearts. He wants to see the genuineness of our faith and to purify us. Just as people use fire to distinguish true gold from counterfeit, so God uses trials to distinguish true faith from superficial profession. So when the Lord places you on a difficult path, see this as a testing of the genuineness of your faith. Do you believe the resurrection? God sends trials to deepen your faith and your commitment to him. And this being so, you shouldn't feel sorry for yourself when trials and afflictions come upon you. True faith means fixing your eyes on God and on the duty that you have toward others. And aren't trials and difficulties often one of the best opportunities for witnessing to others? When one member's faith is tried, we're all being tested. We cannot ignore the trials of others and think, well, that's his problem or that's her issue, not mine. We're in this together. The faith of each and every one of us must be purified and so result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Brothers and sisters, believe the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and its power. And do not doubt that this power will be revealed in full. Hold fast to what you have. On Christ's great day, you will see the revelation of your full salvation. And at that time, you and I will sing into all eternity, Christ is risen, hallelujah. For now I may enjoy in perfection what I hoped for and longed for in the struggles that are now behind me. Amen.